This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. No, no, I want an official red undercover and I should do it and get rid of my lead rifle. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and Joe's mom is gearing up for what appears to be her biggest feast ever next week. And we're matching her here in the basement by delivering amazing featured guests teaching us the basics of real estate investing. Thinking about diving into real estate in 2019? Please help us welcome the men behind the Bigger Pockets real estate community and podcast, Josh Dorkin and Brandon Turner. Plus, in our headline segment, another advisor goes fee only, but not for the reasons you might think. Of course, that's not all. We'll throw out the Haven Lifeline, read a letter from the mailbag, and still impress Eve, the East German judge, with how well I'll stick the landing on today's trivia question. Like a boss, that's how I'm going to do it. But now, two guys who are so ready for next week's feast that they've already stopped eating for this week. Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. Well, it's not for that feast. We got another feast coming up in a couple days because somebody's having a birthday. As if you didn't get a birthday last year, you know, birthday hog. At least mine, I only celebrate over one day. You take the entire month of February. I try to. And then you tell everybody in January that February is your birthday month. And then in March, you remind everybody that last month was your birthday. Do you know what's frustrating about it is the whole time I've lived in Texarkana, I've been affiliated with this 
nonprofit group and I love the group. We build walking trails in the community. I'm going to be sad to go, but my birthday is always the same weekend as the run the same exact weekend. And so last year I made a big exception to, uh, and I'm not going to mention the, the whole debacle that last year ended up being because you guys throw Uh it in my face every time we talk about food, but not to change the subject, but here's a question. OG. How can you live a better life when you're working so much? From Wondery comes Safe for Work, a podcast that's all about helping you find balance and happiness in your work life. What the heck is that all about? That'd be exciting, wouldn't it? Get advice from everything on how to avoid burnout on the job to how to fake an illness when you're calling in sick. Go subscribe to Safe for Work to get helpful career advice that's lively and fun. By the way, I forgot to say good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salcihi, Ever Show Money on Twitter. And across the table from me, it's Mr. OG. Yeah, everybody figured that out. Yeah. They knew that as soon as you started talking about your walking trails or whatever. Birthdays, food. I'm in a food coma because I've had nothing but Christmas cookies for the last six days. That's a healthy diet, isn't it? It's balanced. <laughs> That's why I do that Peloton. You get sugar and fur. off all the sugar. That's nice. Peloton at 100 miles an hour for three minutes. <laughs> How do you know? We got a great show today. We got the bigger pockets guys, Josh Dorkin and Brandon Turner here coming to the basement. Love these guys. We've had them on separately before. In fact, Josh Dorkin sat in for you once, by the way, when you couldn't make one of our recordings. It was probably your birthday or something. I don't know. What a great name. Maybe you can help me understand why I made an offer on an investment property that was 40% below their asking price. And I heard crickets back. That, that is weird. <laughs> Maybe it was just a smidge insulting. Even my realtor was like, yeah, this seems low. Seems a little low for what we should write up. And I'm like, write it down. You can you tell they're know. trying to put it te- tactically or uh, tactfully yeah. to you. Yeah. She probably didn't even send it in. She probably was like, okay, yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, and uh, here's your offer and send. Oh, look, it was rejected. <laughs> Wow, that was quick. They must have been sitting right at their computer. It is amazing. (laughs) Tell me the real offer. We probably won't ask them that, but we are doing real estate for beginners today. So if you're looking at real estate in your future in 2019 or beyond, we got you covered on today's show. But first, we got some headlines. So let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. First headline comes to us from Napa-Net, the National Association of Plan Advisors, people that run 401k plans, pension plans, that sort of thing. This is great. We talked about this on Monday, and then I go looking for headlines for today, and it's exactly what you said. Participant transfers trended back to normal in November. Amid volatile markets, participant trading picked up in November, of course. So it gets more volatile. We tell people it's probably a good idea to stay put, and they they don't. And what was described as a more typical month, there were three days out of 21 of above normal trading during November, according to the Alight Solutions 401k index. That was down from the five the previous month, but well ahead of the period July through September when there were no above normal trading days. An above normal relative transfer activity day is when the net daily movement exceeds two times the average daily net activity in the index. Mm-hmm which tracks the 401k trading activities of nearly 2 million participants, representing more than $200 billion in collective assets. During November, most of those transfers were toward? Fixed income. It's as if you wrote this. Fixed income options. And more than half, 59% of the dollars involved, went to stable value funds, with another 18% going to the relative safety of money market funds. (laughs) 
a ton of people self-selecting for crash and burn. It's okay by me. And by the way, if you're brand new to the show, this is your first time listening. We don't think you're crashing and burning because of the fact that you think that the market's going to go down. At some point, the market will go down. At some point, it will. However, if you have a long-term goal, should you be doing this? Should you be partaking, OG, in this particular activity? Well, obviously, the short answer to this is no, but you have to set yourself up for success here. And if you're a nervous Nelly who sits down with a Excel spreadsheet every day at the close of the market so you can chart the highs and lows and the intraday movements of the S&P 500 or your favorite stock, maybe you should not do that for a while. And if there's volatility that gets you concerned, probably the best course of action is to just not look at your statements. You know, I mean, just think about the person who retired on January 2008 and then went in for a review meeting with his advisor on January 1st, 2009, not knowing anything that was going on, he probably was pretty freaked out, right? Yeah. Down 30 some odd percent, 40%, depending. Sure. Okay, fine. So now just fast forward that and let's say that he went on a two-year cruise and came in for his review with the advisor in 2010 in January. Not quite back to even, but not nearly as bad. And so you put some time between you and the volatility and it puts it in perspective. It makes it a lot less severe. And really, frankly, it's not even volatile what we're experiencing. This is just kind of normal stuff. So this freaks you out. You know, you really need to put some put some barriers to your <laughs> decision making. As if that were the worst. That's not the worst. It gets even worse. These monies were primarily pulled from U.S. equity positions. No. Oh no, I'm sorry. International equity positions. No. Oh, then I don't know. Target date funds. Which is already, okay. Which blows my mind to your inferred point, OG. You suggested the two places where maybe an informed but nervous Nelly investor would pull from. Instead, you have a completely diversified position already that already includes some fixed income, already includes multiple asset classes, money all across the spectrum. And which, you, which specifically is is earmarked for a specific point in time. We have talked about the fact that target date funds are not the best option for you, but the one thing they do really well is they have a date on them. Is they have a date on them, and their goal it's is like to, the Christmas gift that says "Please open in ten years." Their goal is to try to control volatility, and you're second guessing your own target date fund. Yeah, just shoot. But me. you know better. You know, after getting home from a hard day of work at the office where you do your, you know, thing all day, litigation consulting all day. And then, and then in your free time, you're a stock market wizard. Second guessing your target date fund. No, I don't think this is going to end up in 2035 at exactly the spot that. that, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My math says. Yeah. I think I can beat that. The other one makes more sense. And the place to beat it is money market. 25% of the money OG came out of company stock funds. And uh, okay, I get that one. Just going to be more volatile than anything anyway, generally. Yeah. If, I mean, if you're overexposed into company stock, now- n- nope. No better time to sell it than at the bottom. <laughs> but we're not at the bottom. You've spent the week saying we're we not at be. the bottom. We might be. Oh, we might be. Good point. Who knows? Well, yeah, nobody. I think if it gets volatile and you're going to see an uptick in activity from people, people that delayed on selling their company stock and finally went, yeah, maybe this is a wake-up call I needed. Okay. I'll give you that one. 
Target date funds continued to draw most of the incoming contributions, 48%, doubtless aided by their role as a common default investment vehicle, meaning if you don't pick one, that's where they put you. According to estimates from the Nonpartisan Employee Benefit Research Institute, the average 401k account balance for younger, 25 to 34, less tenured, one to four years, workers jumped 3.2% in November, reversing October 3.7% tumble and leaving it up 24.9% year to date. Among older workers with more than 20 years of tenure, whose average balance is generally more influenced by market moves than contributions, the average 401k balance was 1.5% higher. Year to date, the average balance 4.7% higher than it was a year ago. We'll link to this in our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. Our second piece comes to us from financialplanning.com, financial-planning.com. This is written by Ann Marsh. After three decades, guess who just went fee only? Yeah, I saw that. Mr. Rick just Edelman. Cracks, cracks me up. Oh, but I love his reasoning. The reason I wanted to point to this is not because his reasoning is what you think it is. I love the analogy, but go ahead. Yep. Yes, yes, yes. And that's why I wanted to point to this because 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 yes. Rick is doing the thing that the market... Because finally he's got $200 billion under management. He's like, eh, 1%. Yeah, I think we'll be all right. We can <laughs> give up some commissions. But he still makes a wonderful point, which is what I love about Rick Edelman. Yes. Rick Edelman has never had a problem taking commissions for financial advice. True. But after 30 years in business, he decided to drop all commission income at his large and newly reconstituted RIA anyway. We're now fee only, says Edelman, adding that the change became official for Edelman Financial Engines on November 1st. We decided that in this environment, in the evolution of this industry, it was important to be able to say, and that's the key phrase, by the way, it's important to be able to say to consumers that we're fee only. Not that there's anything wrong with the commission world, but there's a negative perception of the industry. Totally agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. You got it. Put more vividly, he added. Here it comes. We said, quote, even though we're drinking water at the bar, there are too many drunks, so let's not go into the bar. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder how long it took him to come up with that metaphor, but uh, I like it. There are too many drunks on the commission-based side. Yeah, it's just too, it's too slippery, you know, and there's no good way around it. That's the problem is that even if it's the kind of sort of the right thing to do, there's always a commission-free option, which if there's a commission-free option, then there's a lower cost to the consumer. So how do you sit across the table and say, yeah, I think this commission option is the best for you? I can do that. I can definitely do that. If I'm the one who has to explain that damn product, if I'm the one who has to take their calls 47 times, meet with them to make sure that it's performing the way that we thought it would in the future, if there's any complexity whatsoever, me being paid to explain it so you use it effectively in the future, like you and I know people who bought non-traded REITs, which I had a lot of non-traded REITs go excellently. Work, mm-hmm. work phenomenally well. But you and I have sat across people that didn't understand how the product was going to act later on and then ended up in our office, our offices collectively saying, get me the hell out of this thing. And then once I explained how the thing worked, in some cases, they finally... Right. Un- but but, but, but finally let me, let me ask you this, but how's about the non-trader REIT that in the, the little teeny tiny box that you can check on the application that says, 
yeah, I'm going to forgo my commission and I'm going to have this be in a regular fee-based account, regular, you know, 1% account. Absolutely. Yes. So the impact of that, which I didn't know until 10 years into my career, the impact is, is that instead of the client buying it at a discounted nine dollars a yeah. share, right? Because they got to pay me seventy cents of commission, so the client's buying it at nine seventy a share. They automatically get a whatever that ends up being, you know, Big dang two. near a ten percent increase, seven eight percent increase, just by me checking the box. So, which the great and, thing and for the, them, by the way, is that their dividend, their their return on on principal investment is based on that number. So it immediately returns a much bigger, much bigger number from the beginning. You know, we've talked about annuities before in the past as being hotbed for commission activity, and again, lots of uses for them, no problems. But if you can check the box of it being a commission product versus it being a fee product, it's going to cost less for the client. It depends. It's, it's interesting because I still think about, in some cases, the role of like, um, you know, the old C shares, where over long periods of time, the C share ends up being more expensive to the client. So you can justify over the short run that it's going to be less expensive to be in a fee account. But over the short run, or over the long run, excuse me, could end up being a lot more expensive than just taking a commission off the top. I just think it's an opportune, it's, it's too opportunistic for conflict. That's what I'm looking for. I think there's too many drunks at the bar is my point. Yeah. I'm, I'm with yeah. him. I think there's nothing wrong with the commission side of the business. I know there's people going to be yelling at me. No, it should be fear. Okay, whatever. Drink all that Kool-Aid. But, but that stuff, like we talked about before, it all ends up coming out. It's mm-hmm. much more, I think, about jiving with your advisor, your advisor being on your team. You know when your advisor's on your team, when your advisor's not on your team. And then making sure that you understand how they get paid. I love the idea of transparency about how your advisor's being paid. Yeah. Upstairs are two of my favorite people. Josh Dorkin is the founder of Bigger Pockets and Ever since the beginning, one of the very, very, very key people in his organization has been this crazy man called Brandon Turner. When I say crazy, I mean that in just a great way. These two guys are a lot of fun. They've, of course, together with a lot of help from other people over the years, have built the Bigger Pockets Empire. Bigger Pockets, for people that don't know, is a huge real estate forum online, biggerpockets.com. And uh, they have just created what I think is the definitive book for brand new real estate investors. And so I used it as an opportunity for the first time in Stacky Benjamin's history to actually get them on at the same time. Perfect. It's amazing. Let's say hello to our good friends, Brandon Turner and Josh Dorkin. And coming down the stairs to the basement. I feel like we got the band back together. You guys have both been on the show separately. I don't think you've ever been on the show together. Josh Dorgan. This is still a dump, man. Brandon Turner. How are you guys? Oh, I hit my head coming down the stairs again. (laughs) Sucks being six foot five. Every time. I don't see that beam. You guys have been in the basement for 18 seconds and we already have two two insults out of you. (laughs) 
It's so Where good. Can I? We'll, we'll get a lot more. Don't worry. Right, thanks for having us, man. Well, I was excited to get your book. I was excited when Josh texted me and told me that you guys had a book on the way. I was like, this is awesome. This is like the super friends getting together. But, <laughs> but led book. Yeah. Led. But let's, I guess, set the tone here. You guys wrote a great analogy to kind of to kick off the book about being naked. Brandon, <laughs> do you want to talk right. about being naked? It's not should about, I, should, should, we, should I read it? <laughs> no, you can, no, no, you're not reading it. Cause it will, it'll take way too long. Do you want to explain it or I can explain no, you, it? You go you? for it, man. All right. So the idea is, okay. I put naked in there. Cause it was like, it was a good word. <laughs> no, there's these hikers walking through a woods, not naked. They're clothed, but it's, uh, the sun was naked. I think that's the line. Anyway, these hikers are walking through the woods. They're blind. They cannot see they on this path ahead of them. They, collide into something and all three of them are blind. They don't know what they just collided into and they can't go any further. And the first one says, well, whatever this is, it feels like a, a giant rope, like a, a rubber rope. And the second guy says, what are you talking about? This is clearly a, a wall. It's a huge wall. And the third guy says, you both are crazy. This is like a tree trunk. It just fell over on its side. And they argue, no, you're, you're, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. And they go back and forth, right? While they're arguing, the elephant gets up and walks away, right? So the idea being everyone has their own perspective on what something is and real estate, which is what we're obsessed with. And that's what the book is about. And what that's what we do is perspective. Everybody has their own sort of idea on what it is. And everyone will argue, no, this is what real estate is. This is what real estate is. So anyway, so we're really big on the idea of let's just take a step back and see the elephant for what it is. And that's kind of the idea behind the book. Does that make it difficult, Josh, in the bigger pockets forums? I mean, when you've got people that are all feeling different parts of the elephant, you know, to kind of keep the, keep the villagers civilized. Yeah, it's hard because, you know, everybody's right. No, you know, look, I think at the end of the day, one of the nice things about what we've created is a community where people understand that they're going to get different opinions. And one of the great things about bigger pockets is it's an environment where you go and we don't think that there's any one path. There's no one right way for any one individual to do things. Unlike, you know, what, what some people may espouse, there's countless paths that any one person can take and there's not one right or wrong path. And also with, with a lot of things in the real estate, there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer. What works for you, Joe, is going to be very different than than Brandon creeping in other people's basements. That's you know? so that's, absolutely. I have creeped in a basement or two. Just so we can dig into one piece of the book, I wanted to go over and dive into maybe you know as much depth as we can get in about 15 minutes. Nine questions every real estate beginner wants answered because our podcast is very much a podcast for people just starting to dip their toe into any different area. But the, one of your first questions people ask you all the time is, can I invest in real estate if I have a full-time job? And, and, and my first thought was, I think you want to, don't you want to have a full-time job if you're going to invest in real estate, Brandon? Oh, sure. I mean, it is very, very helpful to have a full-time job when you're investing. A lot of people they'll think, because they hear these stories on a podcast of this like full-time real estate investor, somebody who's just doing it full-time, and they think that they have to they have to wait until they can quit their job to invest in real estate. But yeah, I think a, a job actually helps you in a tremendous way, right? You can't get mortgages without a job very, very easily, unless you got a really good business. So yes, you can invest in real estate and should with a job. What's the, I like this analogy in the book, Josh, consider two types of people who try to lose weight. First person sets a goal and heads to the gym for a three hour run on the treadmill. A few weeks later, they go back to the gym and use the free weights for a few hours. Then a month later, they go back and try the elliptical machine. The second person, however, sets a goal and goes to the gym five days a week, but just works out for 30 minutes every single day while also we're watching calorie intake. After three months, which person would you assume lost more weight? Ask Brandon. <laughs> 
Did you <laughs> what, guys I, get a child oh in the basement? Holy, who is that? Oh my goodness. That is a child in the basement. I always love it when mom babysits for us because she just lets yeah. kids run amok. They run amok. During She's our got a little nursery in the corner there. <laughs> I, you know, look, I, the answer to that question is obviously the second. You know, it's the person who sets a goal, puts together a plan and commits to executing that plan with regularity. That's one of the reasons why on bigger pockets, when we're teaching people what to do and, and how to how to get out there, you know, it's hey, figure out where you want to go, figure out what your exact path is. Do you want to flip? Do you want to buy and hold? But the, once you've determined what you want to do, and, and this book is great for that, you know, it gives you information about every aspect of real estate from from a broad 900 foot view. You know, we tell people, get out there, start evaluating deals every single day, start doing things every single day to get you on the path towards it. Because those people who do that are the ones who actually end up investing. The rest are the 90% who fail and say, oh, it's everybody else's fault. I've failed because, you know, the odds were stacked against me. No, you were stacked against yourself. You guys have had, obviously, tons of great interviews on the Bigger Pockets podcast. You also have a lot of people in this book that you profile, a lot of profiles of different people that you've talked to. Tell me a story or two about people that juggled a full-time job and investing in real estate. Because it seems like, you know, it is a little bit time intense. I mean, I like having the other source of income. That's a plus. I like having a good credit score. That's a plus. But how do you find the deals when you're busy trying to make sure that you put in eight hours for the man every day? Best example, I would say, is uh, Scott Trench, right? So Scott oh, Trench okay. is president of Bigger Pockets, CEO of... CEO. CEO of Bigger Pockets right now. Uh, you know, we throw titles around, whatever. Scott Trench is running the show right now. Scott is Scott is currently CEO of Bigger Scott Pockets since, since it's been outed uh, here. Yeah, I, yes. I've I've stepped away, and Scott is currently running Bigger Pockets as CEO. So, but yeah, he, he's exactly. a great example. Great example. Yeah. So Scott came to us. Uh, I mean, everybody I know really started real estate and you know working a full time job. But Scott's a good example because like he he wasn't trying to build this massive like five hundred unit portfolio in the next first two years. He just like bought like one property every year. He just bought like a duplex. He lived in half of it, rent the other half out while working a full-time job. It goes back to the analogy we used a minute ago, right about the weightlifting, the gym thing. Yeah. It's not about working out three hours one day and then not coming back for a month. It's about like just consistently. Like I really, I say this all the time. If a person works 15 minutes a day, five days a week on their real estate business, they can build up a sizable portfolio. It's just continually just moving the ball down the field. Like use a football analogy, right? Just always move the ball three yards down the field and with a full-time job, easy. So Scott Trench is a really good example of that. Mindy Jensen. Mindy Jensen is a real estate investor. Did a, uh, she, you know, we all know Mindy from the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, but she's also a writer, author, whatever. Mindy's awesome. And Mindy and her husband, Carl, they achieve financial independence by doing live-in flips. So they would buy a house, live in it, fix it up, and then move on to the next one. And while they worked full-time jobs the entire time. It ends uh, up being a lot of benefits there. evenings and weekends then for, for the yeah, Jensen's. Yeah. Number yep. two on your list of uh, questions beginners ask is, do I need to pay some guru in order to be successful? And I found that question compelling, A, because there's so many damn gurus out there who, yeah, who yeah, there are. try yep. to get on my show every stinking day. I probably get more real estate experts that want to be on our show than any other, any other pitch of all. But then second... I think especially for people that have full-time jobs, I think they think they need the guru in their corner so that they can make up for the speed that they don't have. Yeah. Well, it's not about speed. You know, it's about investing fast and making lots of money with, with zero downside. Go buy some Bitcoin. Yeah. That's a great investment. Right <laughs> I was going to say, how's that working for you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
So, you know, there's always going to be risk. There's always going to be downside. And as I said earlier, there's not necessarily any one path. What you're going to get with a guru is this is my way of doing it and you have to do it this way. And I'm going to make you a bazillionaire in three weeks. It doesn't happen. So what we believe is, and that was the point of this book, is to figure out what works for you under your circumstances, under your income, under your age, under your family circumstance. You know, you, you've got a wife and three kids and you're month to month on paying the bills, you're going to have a very different situation than a guy who's single 22 making $600,000 a year. It's just, you're going to have different risk tolerances. You're going to have different interests. You're going to have different haves and wants. Well, let's say to use the analogy earlier, right? A guru is going to tell you, no, this is clearly a brick wall, you know, a wall. And you're going to say, no, but I'm feeling a foot right here. I'm feeling a foot because everyone's got their own perspective, right? So when you, if you listen to a guru all day long, it's not the reality that you see in your own life, which is why you need to understand a lot of this stuff. But it's and not, that may work for some people, by the way. I mean, yeah. some people well, need was, somebody to kind of hold their hand. That's just going to say, Josh, is I don't think reading the book, I didn't think that it's the, it's the knowledge base of guru brings to the table that bothers you. It's the promises and the huge fees you have to pay to even get yeah. close to any results. Yeah. I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know, most of these folks use very similar formulas, which is, you know, offer the world, Hey, you're going to get rich in three weeks, you know, by my, uh, come to my free boot camp, And the boot camp is a pitch for, you know, the next thing, which is a pitch for the next thing. Next thing, you know, you, you're spending 75,000 bucks on some one-on-one coaching from a guru, which may or may not even get you anywhere in Bay, you know, and, and that works. But I'd say, isn't it better to take that 75,000 bucks and use that to spend on the purchase of a property and come to bigger pockets, go to other places, read books, you know, go to communities, listen to podcasts, but do all these different things that are free and get a mentor who will work for you for free and do it yourself and not waste, you know, all the money on that. Some people have to spend money in order to make themselves successful. And that's fine. I have no problem with it. I've just say, be careful, buyer beware. And, uh, keep that all in mind. I know our mutual friend, Chad Carson, Coach Carson, talks a lot about the mentors he had that helped him. But that was more of a partnership where he went and kind of bulldog properties for a guy and got his feet wet and learned what he was doing. I want to ask about one line on this point. Uh, You guys write, they often use, and we're talking about gurus here, very slick and dangerous for you techniques to sell you on their very expensive courses, boot camps, mentoring, training, etc. You mentioned that earlier, Josh. I don't know what these guys are offering. When you say very dangerous techniques, what type of technique should raise a red flag for somebody listening to the show? Brandon? Yeah, I'll throw this one out. So one of the common things is they'll, they'll have like a two-day boot camp. On the first day, you sign up for it. It's a couple hundred dollars, get you in the door. And they'll encourage you. We're going to teach you negotiation. Negotiation is very important real estate. We all know that, right? So we're going to teach you negotiation. Let's practice with negotiating your credit card limit. Let's get your credit card limit as high as we possibly can get it. Oh my here's a script to use. Yeah. Here's what you should say. Here's how you're going to say it. Here's what you're going to call when you call them. And so you call them. My, so my buddy did this, right? Got his credit card limit lit raised. He got to $15,000. Guess the next day how much the package they tried to sell him was. They asked what credit card limit you got to. And they sold him a $15,000 packet of books. Magic. Like, yeah, magic. Isn't that amazing? And though it's those things. And people walk away spending, like I've actually seen, like I've, I've, I've seen these documents, which will have all the different packages that they're selling these newer things. They're all blank on the prices. Why? So they can write in whatever they want to write in to max out whatever card you have or amount you have in your checking account. Oh, that's so horrible. 
I want to do two more of these, unfortunately, fairly quickly. Number three, can I invest in real estate if I have no money? That's what we all saw Carlton Sheets tell us, right? Invest with no <laughs> yeah. money down, man. What's what's wrong with it? Can you invest in real estate, Josh, with no money? Absolutely. In fact, I'm, I'm the one who should not be giving the answers to this because <laughs> the, the guy next to me literally wrote the book on investing with no and low money down, Brandon over here. But yes, you you can. There's a lot of, I, I guess, negative perception around the idea because again, and rightly so. oftentimes yeah. people go about doing things in potentially unethical ways, but there are lots of ways. Finding partners. I have no money. I go, I find deals. I find a great deal. I come to you, Joe, and I say, you know, look, I got this fantastic deal. I've got no money. I'm going to work it. I'm going to do all the hustle. I'm going to manage it. I'll take care of it, but I just don't have the cash. Can you put up the cash? Let's partner 50-50 or some other percentage and do the deal. It works. Brandon, that was your first deal, right? With your dad? Yeah. Yeah. I've done it a number of times. Most of my deals have been no money, but here's the point I want to make. It's not about being broke. This is where people get confused. Doing a real estate deal broke is not the same as doing a real estate deal with no money. The best real estate investors I know all do deals with no money all the time. They bring in partners, they raise money, they do loans, whatever else. They're not broke, right? So if you have zero dollars to your name, you probably should not go do a no money down deal. It's about using creativity to be able to maximize what you can do. Gotcha. And then the counterpoint to that one, number four, can I invest in real estate if I've got bad credit? So if I can go no money, what about bad credit, Brandon? Technically, sure. I mean, Again, bad credit's a sign of a deeper problem, right? I think we all kind of know that. Like if you have bad credit, just because you think you're better, you're probably not better. It's probably something driving that, right? I mean, maybe it was a medical bill or whatever, but the point being, yeah, you could do it with no credit. You probably could invest. Uh, You're not going to get a mortgage with no credit, right? So again, like if I came to you, Joe, and said, or, you know, I went to your mom and said, hey, can you fund this deal for me? You get the mortgage, you get the loan, right? And she says, no problem, sweetie. And then she funds everything. Yeah, I could do a deal with no money and no credit. But that's me relying on your mom to be a really nice person. She is. <laughs> did you but. just assume, Mr. Turner, did you just assume because I work <laughs> in my mom's basement that I have crappy credit? Is that what just happened? <laughs> I don't want to judge. All right. I'm just saying. You, you know what they say about assuming, Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> well, th- this card table, I assumed if you had good credit, you could afford a better card table to sit on the <laughs> podcast. Frugal is right. a great thing, Mr. Turner. I'll let you know. Uh, frugal oh, is frugal is the fancy word for. Never mind. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to ask you one more thing that beginners ask. I'm not going to go into that. You've got several more in here. Is it a way to get rich quick? Uh, do you talk about Brian Burke, which I thought was a fantastic, by the way, episode of the show? What if my market's too expensive? And then uh, do I need an LLC or corporation? You go from there. But I want to ask two very common ways of investing. I just want to do upside or downside if you guys don't don't mind. Or upsides, because I know both of these have pluses and minuses. Buy and hold real estate, rent to people versus being a flipper. Josh, upside and downside are the two main ways to do that. A piece just came out in the Wall Street Journal the other day about flipping. And it's all over the news now. Flipping is starting to slow down because housing is starting to soften. Flipping is a strategy that really can work in any market, but it's certainly going to work a lot better in an appreciating market where you go, you buy a piece of property and you fix it up and you sell it for more money. Now there's more risk when the market's coming down in flipping a property. The difference in the strategies are flipping is an active strategy. You have to go out, you have to acquire the property, you have to fix up, physically fix up this property. You are somebody else, right? And then you have to sell it and do so for a profit. Buy and hold can be a lot more of a passive activity. You could acquire the property, put in a property manager, and 
watch the checks come in. Now it's not necessarily that simple. You've got to go and do an evaluation of the property, buy a property that makes money. That's where most people actually fail is because they don't know how to evaluate a property. It's probably, I would say that's on both flips and on buy and hold. And I'd say a lot of that is the responsibility of these flipping shows for putting out bad information about how to evaluate a deal. But evaluating a deal incorrectly is probably the single most frequent problems that cause people to fail in real estate investing. Mm. Braden, did anything dead? Yeah, flipping's a business. Rentals are a business that can become more passive. They both can be good. They both can be rough. If I wanted to go make a quick $30,000, I'm not going to do it through rentals. But if I wanted to go and uh, retire early, I'm probably going to do it with the rentals, not through flipping. The book is How to Invest in Real Estate, The Ultimate Beginner's Guide to Getting Started. This is, by the way, guys, an A to Z book. Everything from we went through four of the nine questions every real estate beginner wants answered, boring financial stuff that just might save your life, uh, getting your ducks in a row, real estate investment niches. We just went through a couple of them. I'm very interested, by the way, in the whole mobile home park explosion. Yeah, lately. I love my mobile home park. That's a that's a whole different show. Uh, real estate investment strategies, 27 ways to find incredible deals, 12 ways to finance your real estate deals. Josh, where do they get the book? They can find it on biggerpockets.com slash, what is it? How to invest, Brennan? Yep. How to invest or store. Or store, or you can go on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, libraries. It's all over the place. It's everywhere. Never heard of this Bigger Pockets site. What's that all about? The greatest uh, greatest place on the planet for real estate (laughs) investors. It's a community of 1.1 million investors, the top real estate podcast in the world. We've got 15 other books in our library that are fantastic. This is the one you should start with, of course. But yeah, it's an amazing site. He sounds like a proud papa, doesn't he, Brandon? He I does, am. doesn't he? <laughs> he does. All right, Brandon Turner, Josh Dorkin, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes. Thanks, thanks Joe. Joe. Hey, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome to today's extra special trivia segment. Today, we're honoring someone who was nearly as proficient in his field as I am in mine. I mean, you know, close. You may know him as the youngest hockey player to ever score 1,000 points. You may know him simply as the great one. No, 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 not me, not this great one, but the other great one. But, but thank you. Or as his parents decided to call him, you may know him as Wayne Gretzky. Kind of a silly name if you ask me. On this day in 1984, Wayne Gretzky became the youngest player to score 1,000 points. Now here's your trivia question. How old was Wayne Gretzky when he achieved this feat? I'll be back with your answer during the next period. Here's a question, podcast fans. How can you live a better life? When you're working all the time, wondering where you can get some answers about the workplace from Wondery, the network buying business wars and Dirty John comes safe for work podcast all about helping you find balance and happiness in your career and life. After all, many of us spend more time working with our coworkers and clients than spending time with our friends and family. Hosts Liz Dolan and Rico Gagliano give advice on everything from how to avoid burnout on the job to how to fake an illness when you're calling in sick. Wouldn't that be great, OG, to do that with with this show? Yeah, halfway done, can't can't quite do it. 
Uh, They'll also talk to experts about those times in the office that can challenge the best of us, negotiating a raise, knowing when it's time to move on, dealing with that annoying office mate with no boundaries. How about one of the toughest ones in my office was uh, an appropriate dress issue. That was fun. Or the smelly guy or the dude who wore uh, white dress shirts and uh, no t-shirt underneath. And they were really thin and he was hairy. It was interesting. Every episode is filled with helpful career advice, lively and fun, just like your work life should be. So go subscribe to Safe for Work on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening to us right now. Welcome back, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. But thinking about Gretzky being called the great one, I've decided it's probably appropriate for you to just call me the greatest. That'll clear up lots of confusion, right? That's step one. Now, all I need is the 40 million Gretzky pulled down while he was playing hockey. That's something I'll have to take up with Joe later. But for now, let's see if you find the net on this trivia question. Here it was. How old was Wayne Gretzky when he scored 1,000 points? The answer? It was at the ripe old age of 23. Jeez, took you long enough, dude. That Gretzky passed the 1,000-point mark very early in his career. He was already skating where the puck was going, wasn't he? I'll tell you where this show is going. Right back into the dumps with Joe and OG. See ya. Nice job, OG. 21. You were very close. I think close, that's yeah. I think that's close enough to be a win right there. Good win. Ah, yes. Yes. Very, very Finish good. the season out strong. Well, <laughs> thank goodness Len and Paul aren't here on a Wednesday. I know. So you get no, 22. no competition. Yes. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Second you say 21, you know you lost. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's biggest questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, especially this time of year, OG, they're putting the things that you value first. Presents. And more presents. Is that because Friday's your birthday and then people got to turn around shelf. four days later and uh, and give you more? By the way, I, I think I've, I've asked you this before, but you figured out early like who the cheap people are in your family aren't, haven't you? Like, because they give you like one- Everyone. What, one present for both days? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Here's your birthday yeah. slash- uh, My wife does a pretty good job of trying to keep it separate, but- um, Oh yeah, I totally got the. Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, I just your birthday your presents coming in a couple days. Hey, it's your birthday and Christmas present wrapped up into one. It's like it's the same twenty dollar thing. So shouldn't I get two twenty dollar things? I'm just saying. Was there ever a time? Though, I was very independent. Oh, good. Was there ever a time though when it was a forty dollar thing, and they told you, well, twenty dollars this is is you? Because I can I see no, that. I have, I have no no yeah. recollections of no that. none no. No, I, I, yeah. But you said you were pretty independent. Yeah. Well, you know, I started working when I was 11. So I've always had this philosophy that if I want something bad enough, I'll just go make it happen. So I never really, I never really felt like I didn't get something for Christmas or my birthday because I would just go, you know, I would have already gotten it basically. If I wanted a new pair of shoes, I would just go get a new pair of shoes. I bet your wife hates trying to shop for you. Well, we're at the point, actually, this year was the year that we finally said, okay, seriously, like what is what is on the list other than like Ferrari that is, you know, in a realm of reality of a budget that 
I don't already have or couldn't go get on my own. You know, because how fun is it to like go, hey, I noticed your jeans had holes in them. So I got you a pair of jeans like, yeah, I was going to go to Costco and get some jeans yesterday, but I just forgot. (laughs) You know, it's like if you want a pair of jeans when you're 40 years old, you just go get a pair of freaking jeans. You know what I mean? But they saved saved you a trip to the store, though. Well, there's that. Yeah. And wrapped it and it was very thoughtful. But uh, yeah, so we uh, we kind of did ourselves a joint gift this year. Some... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a great appliance in our house, actually. But um, we're like, hey, I have an idea. How about we get ourselves an appliance for Christmas? <laughs> a, fantri- <laughs> a fantastic Christmas gift. And we're going on a little bit of a trip in a couple weeks, so that's fun. But of course, you know, we say that, and then I'm like, yeah, I can't not show up at Christmas with the presents for my wife. So, so she's got a bunch of crap. Well, I'm going to give you the present uh, today. I was going to save it on your birthday on Friday. I thought I'd let you uh, record with uh, Paula Lynn and I. Oh, well, that's awful kind of you. Thank you. You're welcome. It's going to be great. It's going to be the best birthday ever for you. I'm very sure. See that? The most more, most important things, which, by the way, Haven Life says is, is your family and your time. No, they say your loved ones and your time, which is Paula Lynn and me. Mm-hmm. There you go. Exactly. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency have created a modern way to buy quality term life insurance. Their prices are affordable. All policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual. Application super easy to complete online, and they offer instant coverage decisions. No waiting several weeks for a decision. Lovely customer support and more. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to put a life insurance policy under the tree. Stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. And today on the Haven Lifeline is our new friend, Nick. Say hi, Nick. Hey, Joe and OG. It's Nick from California. Uh, I wanted to see if you could explain the concept of the inverted yield curve. I keep hearing about it in the news and how it forecasts the economy tanking and the stock market going down in 18 to 24 months. And I'm wondering if it's something to truly worry about or if it's something that we can not really concern ourselves with. And also, I'm wondering if there's a lot of people getting wound up and that kind of causes the the markets to go haywire and kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Anyways, thanks for your help. Great question, Nick. We've heard a lot about the inverted yield curve, OG. Well, I like what he said there about the self-fulfilling prophecy because, you know, the more and more uh, technology and program trading that is in place in the big investment firms the more that is a, a distinct issue. But the second question that you had is, should we pay attention to it? And I would say, absolutely, you should pay attention to it with an asterisk of only if your goals are over the next 18 to 24 months. If you have a longer term financial goal, like my kid's two and they're going to go to college in 16 years, or I'm 35 and I'm going to retire in 25 years, should I pay attention to this? The answer is unequivocally no. But what is it? So if you think about how you borrow money or how you, if you were a bank, would lend money. Traditionally, if you think about borrowing money for a really short period of time or from the bank's perspective, lending money for a really short period of time, you'd expect to have a low interest rate associated with that loan. So if you're going to borrow money for the next six months, the interest rate's relatively low. If you want to borrow money for the next 30 years, the interest rate should be higher because there's more risk involved with that if that makes sense. And so if you chart this out, you can say kind of the bottom, the X axis is the time 
like just call it duration of the loan. And then the y-axis, the one that goes up and down, will say is interest rate. And just very simplistically, you could say the line slopes up into the right. So the longer the term, the higher the interest rate. And so if you wanted to borrow money from the government for 30 years, you go get a 30-year bond, you should get paid more than if you're buying a 20-year bond, which in turn should be paid more than if you're buying a 10-year bond, so on and so forth. But the reality is that that curve isn't a straight line. It's it it kind of plateaus eventually. So it kind of slopes upward and then just kind of plateaus. And and when that happens, they might say it's flattening. So you'd look at that and say, well, I'm not getting paid anymore to buy 30-year money versus 20-year money. I should just buy the 20-year money. And there's different points on this slope, which could be flat or not. Well, inverted means it just goes the other way. So if you can think of it being normally sloping upward from the bottom left to the top right, inverted means at some point in time, it's turns back the other way. And it actually is worse to have a longer term loan than it is to have a shorter term one. If you're the buyer. Well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you're yeah. the buyer. Right. So, yeah, so like- you can kind of think about that line going up and then kind of coming back down and you go, well, <laughs> this 30-year loan is the same price as the 10-year pr- uh, loan price. I'll take the 10-year one. That's way better, you know, because I could only have to lock my money up for 10 years. So that's kind of what it is. It just means that it's sloping the incorrect way. And it happens in like blips. You know, it's like a short period of time where that happens. And we talked about whether or not that truly does forecast a recession. And allegedly somebody somewhere said that it always does, although always does has a range of of variability of being like up to and including five years from now or something like that or three years maybe. But those are normal things. Recessions are normal things. They have to happen. It's a cleansing of the economy. So that doesn't concern me either, unless your equity goal is two years from now. You know, if you've got all of your kids' college funds in stocks and you're going to write the check for tuition in under 24 months from now, yeah, you shouldn't have that in stock anymore. (laughs) It should be in cash because that's when the money is needed. But if your money is in your 401k and you need it 30 years, who gives a crap about an inverted yield curve. Yeah, it's, it it doesn't matter. I like looking at this as if you were going to get a mortgage because I think a lot of people listening have either explored mortgages or they've bought a house. Um, we could even do... Oh, I think everyone who has a mortgage hates it. We that's, can even... That's we, also a common theme. Well, yes, that's right. Let's say that you're looking at a one-year mortgage, a one-year adjustable rate term loan versus a 15-year mortgage versus a 30 that when your adjustable rate is going to have a very low rate compared to the other ones, because all the banker wants to know is that you're going to be pretty much in the same position one year from now. Statistically, there's a good chance you're probably going to be in a similar state as you are right away. So they'll give you a much cheaper cost of money and they know they're getting their money back over a one-year time frame. 15 years is going to be a different story. Who the hell knows where LG is going to be 15 years from now? I don't know. But- Imagine Jimmy Buffett. There it is. So, so do I want to loan money to him over a 15 year time frame, and then a 30? And you make a really strong case for my refinance, by the way. <laughs> and in some cases, you'll see the 30 and the 15 are very close together. So, to use the term that OG just used earlier, that's the flattening yield curve 
when the 15 and 30 are really close together. But other times you go to refinance your house and those things are like miles apart, the 15 and the 30. And that's because people go, well, I think over the short term, the next 15 years, I think things are going to be good. But maybe there's been some dark wind that bond traders think about over the you know 20 years, 15, 30 years, lots of news, maybe about social security or other programs that might hit 10 to 15 years from now. They're like, well, things might get worse. So the inverted yield curve to me says when, when the more expensive money is the quick money versus that 15 or 30 says everybody thinks there's some crap coming over the short run. And I don't know what's going to happen over the short run, but baby, if you can make it past the short run, I'll bet on you long-term. So that's a weird place to be. And to OG's point, rarely happens. And when it does happen, like OG already said, there's never been a false positive. Never been one, but we've always known there's a recession coming, you know? Okay. Yeah. It's an indicator, but I do agree with Nick that, you know what? People got all worked up about this and it might be three years away. Yeah. Or it could be some very minor pullback in GDP or something, you know, who knows? Yeah. It's just, it certainly doesn't forecast the severity of it. It's much ado about nothing. Pay no attention. Thanks for the question, Nick. We also get letters down here in the basement and Erica sends us this one. She says, Hey, Joe and OG, I am currently 32, but in the workforce for three years after finishing undergrad, I went straight to a PhD program for five years, followed by almost three years of postdoc. During this time, I was essentially making just enough to live on and to tuck away a few bucks here and there, but not much else. I was 29 by the time I decided that I'm done with school, landed my first job. The little I'd save was used in moving costs, et cetera. I currently work for the federal government where I have a TSP. That's the thrift savings plan to which I contribute 9% and get 5% matching. I also have a Roth IRA, which I maxed out this year. I will finish paying off my car in the next four months. And once that's paid off, I will be debt free. Woohoo. She didn't say woohoo, I did. My question is, now that I have a real job where I have an income, I'm starting to build up my savings and have several goals in mind. For example, I'd like to buy a house in the next five years. I also like to work on saving for early retirement. I think having a financial advisor be helpful in discussing how I can achieve these goals. But when I do a search online for financial advisors in the area, I get the impression that they're looking for clients with more investments and built up wealth. I do live in a very expensive city with a lot of rich people. I'm not one of those rich people or young professionals who are just out of college and in their early 20s. My work friends who are in similar situations don't seem to have a financial advisor either. Do you have any advice on where I can go to find an advisor for a person in my situation or any keywords I should keep an eye out for when I'm doing my search? Thank you. It's a great question, Erica. What you're talking about is what the acronym in the industry that I've heard tossed around is called a Henry, a high earner, but not rich yet. So uh, that has been a traditional problem in the investment advisor space or financial planner space is that as an advisor's firm continues to become more and more successful, the only thing that we can trade for money is time. And as advisory firms become more successful, they have to, by nature, either become more selective with their clientele or they have to start adding people around them to grow the organization because you know you don't have so many hours in a year to work. So that is this kind of <laughs> self-fulfilling negative prophecy in the advising space because there's plenty of people who make really good income who save a whole bunch of money who will be really 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 fantastic clients, 
but a traditional advisor space, just especially one that's pretty successful, kind of prices them out right away or they have a minimum fee or something like that. A couple of places come to mind to look right away. And that's uh, firstly, the XY Planning Network. I love what all that collection of advisors is all about, which is, I think Michael said that they're, did I read that they're up to like 800 people now, or maybe that's their goal for, for 2019. Anyways, fee only, which is great. Have to charge a monthly retainer. So, or have to have that as an option. They have to be able to work with anybody from the X and Y generation or be willing to, you know, it doesn't have to be their main focus, but willing to. And a lot of them have service plans in place for exactly your situation. Like, how do I partner with an advisor that I know needs to get paid and I need, I know needs to put food on the table, but I just don't have half a million dollars to invest right now. Someday I will if I do the things the right way, but I need somebody to help me along the way. And so Michael Kitzes and Alan Moore created the XY Planning Network, and now it's got, I think, like I said, about 800 advisors in it nationally. And they're generally, by the way, younger advisors too, which is- Yeah, it's, it can it, be, yep. It's not always a great idea to have somebody in your same age range, but if you've got somebody that understands what you're going through, I think that really helps. Yeah. The other thing that's really helpful with that group in particular is that they're all very technologically savvy, which means that you have the ability to find the best advisor for you. I heard you mention, Erica, that you're searching in your local area. Well, maybe the best advisor for you, you know, you live in DC, maybe, maybe the best advisor is in Greenville, South Carolina. Why shouldn't you work with that person? You know, if there's a way and you're comfortable doing that. So that'd be the first place that I would look. The other thing that you could consider if you wanted to go with a bigger local or regional firm is there's probably an opportunity in those firms for newer clients to work with newer advisors. You know, I mentioned at the very beginning that as an advisory firm owner, you have to decide, am I going to increase my standards of a client because my time is running out or do I want to add staff? Well, some of these firms add staff and that's kind of what ends up happening is they say, well, you know, the senior partner is billing a thousand bucks an hour to use a law firm example. But if you want to work with the junior partner, they're a hundred dollars an hour. And eventually the hundred dollar an hour person will be billing a thousand bucks an hour too, but not yet. So you can also call or send an inquiry to some of these more regional or local firms if there's one that catches your eye, because there might be a program that they're just not advertising for newer clients. And in this case too, we spoke earlier about uh, the commissions and fees. There's a specific type of fee advisor you want. And it's one that's not charging a percentage, but one I think that's charging an hourly rate is really what I think uh, Erica will be looking for because of the fact that a lot of advisors that are charging a percentage of assets, Erica doesn't have assets. Yeah, you can do hourly, you can do a flat annual you know, retainer type deal or something like that. But there's tons of opportunities there. And maybe just start with the XY Planning Network and, and go from there. You'll find a few of those people, by the way, that have been on our show before. Katie Brewer in Dallas is XY Planning yep. Network. Mary Beth Dorjohan in uh, San Diego has been on our show. Eric Robarge in uh, Boston has been on our podcast. Um, trying to think of other XY people. We've had several <laughs> XY people on our show participating in our roundtables. So if you want to go back and find them on roundtables to kind of hear what, they're, what they uh, sound like, uh, Katie's been on a lot, Mary Beth a couple times. I think Eric's been with us once. So mm-hmm. the good stuff there. Thanks for the question, Erica. You got a question for the show. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And that gets you to the Haven Lifeline. And that is why the only difference between Erica and Nick 
who both had fantastic questions, by the way, OG. One of them is taking home the greatest money show on earth t-shirt and the other one isn't. Now, Erica can still buy it. If she goes to stackybenjamins.com forward slash store, uh, she can get it there. By the way, fantastic stocking stuffers, all these wonderful tools, OG. I'm not in the habit you of- better get it ordered quick <laughs> if you're going to try to stocking stuff them. Yeah. yeah, check. I've got our From the Basement uh, 50s Movies poster mug in front of me today, and they're a lot of fun. As always, we make- uh, How much money do we make on these? Uh, at least 11 cents. I was going to say, maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah, that- uh, but they sure are a lot of fun. Stackybedjamins.com forward slash store for that. Thanks also to everybody who's left a review of this here podcast. It's so exciting to see people warning everyone what what kind of craziness you're getting into with this podcast. Speaking of, this one is going on Mom's Fridge. Five stars. Great show from Nally 13 Great personal finance show. The differing opinions that get featured really demonstrate there's no one right way to do anything. A lot of wrong ways, OG, but there's also a lot of right ways. Definitely a lot of wrong ways, for sure. Yes. If we can uh, keep you away from some of those, I think we've uh, gone above and beyond our duty. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, take it from here, man. We should we have learned. Sure thing, Joe. I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, we learned from the Bigger Pockets guys that real estate investing doesn't have to be difficult. You can do it with no money, but it'll take a little more elbow grease, and you can do it with bad credit, though you probably shouldn't. But the best advice, get in there and learn the lessons yourself. Second, fee only? Yeah, it's a good question to ask a financial advisor, but remember, that's probably more market perception than reality. It's way more important that your advisor has a clean record, is on the same page as you when it comes to your goals, and can deliver advice that's useful. But the big lesson? Suggesting to Joe's mom that this year maybe two batches of her famous checks mix is a good idea isn't a great idea if she hears your trivia segment. She'll say, hey, greatest, here's the recipe. Do it yourself. Yeah, not great. Special thanks to Josh Dorkin and Brandon Turner for stopping by the basement. For more on their new book, Invest in Real Estate, head to biggerpockets.com or look wherever books are sold. Of course, you can always catch their hit, Bigger Pockets podcast, wherever you're listening to us right now. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I really thought doing these credits completely naked would have been a lot more fun than it actually was. SB Podcast may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Thanks also to Joe's mom for recognizing that I truly am the greatest, although my talents are wasted making homemade checks Mix Lady.
yesterday was our usual Tuesday afternoon discount day at the movies. Cheryl has time off in the afternoon on Tuesday, so we always go, and luckily that's also the discounted day at the theater. So we were, by the way, not only on this Tuesday, the only people in our theater, I think we were the only people at the Cinemark, which I'm not in love with the Cinemark, but I like it a hell of a lot better when I can buy my ticket without anybody in line, go to the concession stand, get my stuff right away, sit in a theater that's completely empty for an entire movie. It's like your own private screening. It's a nice way to do it, isn't it? It totally is. But Cheryl really wanted to see this movie. I knew nothing about this film. And I said, yeah, okay. Just was going to be fun to be in a theater with my spouse. And this was called Instant Family. I love what you two are doing with this house, but what are you going to do with five bedrooms? You guys are obviously never having kids. What was that look? I did not do a look. You're doing a look right now. There's no look. Have a good fight, guys. There's so many kids in foster care, and they're having an orientation. Ellie, people who take in foster kids are really special. The kind of people who volunteer when it's not even a holiday. We don't even volunteer on a holiday. Over a half million children are currently in foster care. County puts these on because they can match a lot of kids and parents quickly. Look at the big kids. Everybody's avoiding them. I'm going to go and say hi. But they're teenagers, okay? They use drugs, and they watch people playing video games on YouTube. We're not equipped for any of that. Hi! Just FYI, we can all hear you. Hmm? It's okay. Go mingle with the kitties and uh, don't give it another thought. Bye-bye. She was cool. Lizzie comes with two younger siblings. Three kids? Too much. Oh, Oh my God. They're adorable. Why would you show us that? That's wrong. Here we are. Make yourself at home. And so Rose Byrne and Mark Wahlberg take on the role of foster parents with three kids and not the three kids they thought that they were going to start with. They thought they might start with one and start with an infant, if anything. This movie also stars comedian Tig Notaro, who's one of my favorite comedians. I don't know if you remember OG me talking about very favorably about the series one Mississippi. Yep, Just I do. I remember. Fantastic. Of course, Octavia Spencer, who I also love. Everything Octavia Spencer is in, I think, is fantastic. Also, uh, there's a funny Joan Cusack cameo near the end of this film. How long has it been since you've seen Joan Cusack in a movie? Thankfully, it's been a really long time. God willing, it'll be another really long time. You're not a big Joan Cusack fan? No. Well, (laughs) there you go. I, I don't know how you can dislike Joan Cusack, but whatever. So this film surprised me. Last year, I went and saw this movie, The Big Sick, which I gave a huge thumb up to, and it was my surprise movie last year. This is my surprise movie this year. Is this not part of the Daddy's Home series? I I don't think so. I thought it was a very serious movie about the foster care system and how it works. And it pulled no punches. I mean, it's funny. They came in right after they have adopted, well, not adopted, they're, they're foster parents for these three kids. And the first week they're like, this is cake. This is fantastic. And everybody else in their uh, foster care support group is laughing at them going, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in the honeymoon period. They're like, no, no, no. These kids are great. It's fantastic. And then you start to find out that after a while, you know, that kids in the foster system uh, have had to cope in a lot of different ways. And because they're kids, they don't always cope in what an adult would deem to be the best way. And when you have a teenager in the foster care system, they've had to be very manipulative just to make it 
and survive in the system. So they, they end up with just hell. It is just absolutely hell. And it is. Are these not the same people? I mean, Mark Wahlberg's in it, right? Mark Wahlberg, Rose Byrne. So is, isn't she the wife from Daddy's Home? I thought that this was still the same series because Daddy's Home and Daddy's Home 2, the one with uh, Will Ferrell, maybe that's a different actress. And it's the comedy of like how Will Ferrell got married to the... Uh, I thought that movie is much more... I, I didn't see Daddy's Home. But, but, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Will Ferrell is the straight-laced, you know, dude who got married to the... Uh, he's the second husband. And then Mark Wahlberg shows up, the kid's real dad. And he's like the B.A., you know, MFR who rides a Harley and... and uh, That's not him in this no. film at all, no. Okay. Well, no, it's he's a comedy show. He's not, you know, hardcore, but I'm just saying he, like, acts like it. And then in the second movie, they're actually best friends. No? Yeah, no. Well, n- 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 no, you don't people. have any of the same other... I'm um, looking through the cast at Daddy's Home. None of the... None n- of the same people. None of the same people. No. I and, just saw the preview of it with kids and him, and I just thought it was the same series with just a different... In fact, it, even my wife brought that up. She thought it was the same. And maybe that's why nobody's talking about it. This is like a really endearing movie. And, oh, okay. And yeah, it's not a comedy then. It well, it's funny. I mean, it's funny, but it's not a. It is funny, a but I got to tell you, within fifteen minutes of the start, I swear to God, there was something I was allergic to in the movie theater because my eyes kept welling up. Because I was like, there was huh. th- there was just something in that movie theater that made me. Uh, it couldn't have been what was going on in the on the film at all, but it was uh, it was great. It was it was a really really good movie about the foster care system. So. God bless foster parents, man. I came away with just, uh, I already had an appreciation for foster parents. Did you see there was yesterday a headline, a girl, 17 years old, has been in the foster care system for over 4,000 days. And last week, finally found her quote forever home hmm. with her new parents. It was really cool. Some great pictures from that in the news. Big thumb up. Go see, like okay. if you want a positive holiday season message, go see this movie. Will do. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.